Thank you for joining us for Revive the Drive, a ministry of the Bethany Fellowship of Churches. We live in a world where time is a precious commodity. One of the avenues for reviving our souls is the necessary commute to and from the many places our schedules take us. As the wheels of the car begin to turn, join our panel and set the wheels of your mind in motion as you consider the significance and impact of theology on everyday life. Let's listen in as our pastors talk theology. Welcome to Revive the Drive. I'm Daniel Bennett, and Art Georges and Rich Burkle are here in the studio with me, and we are in our second session dealing with the topic of homosexuality. Last time we talked about why we want to do a series on homosexuality, and in this session we're going to begin talking about what Scripture says about homosexuality. This is a very, uh, very hot issue. Uh, sometimes it seems like in the past is the there's been a traditional understanding of what Scripture says regarding God, regarding sexuality, regarding homosexuality, and uh, people have been pretty much in agreement about what Scripture says. Well, beginning in the really late 1980s and and on into the the 90s, there were some some new interpretive approaches to Scripture, some new arguments to be made about what Scripture really says regarding homosexuality, and and uh, a lot of People are wondering, okay, what does Scripture really say? Can we have confidence that we can understand what Scripture says? Is there an overarching um, uh, theological reason to, to say uh, that experience should trump some of what Scripture says? There's just so much here on this issue of what God's Word says regarding homosexuality that that we can dive into over this session and, and perhaps into the, the next one as well. But uh, what what we thought we'd do is we'd begin with Rich giving us some some overarching thoughts about God and about theology that will help us as we approach uh, the text in regards to this specific issue of homosexuality. That's right, Daniel. Um, you know, uh, before we enter into some specific texts about homosexuality, it is very important for us to affirm what we believe about some fundamentals of the faith. Um, oftentimes the disagreement regarding what uh, God holds as true regarding homosexuality is not in reference to those specific passages that we'll be discussing, but it's in reference to the the big idea picture about what God has revealed himself to be and how he communicates to us. And and so, for instance, um, some of the major denominations in the United States that have affirmed homosexuality Denominations like the Presbyterian Church USA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, the Episcopal Church, the Disciples of Christ, and several others, um, they did not begin uh, their their uh, trek away from God and his word by affirming homosexuality. They began their trek away from God by denying some of these fundamental truths that God reveals about himself and about his communication to us. And so, of course, if we disagree about some of these fundamental truths, then we're going to disagree about this very issue of homosexuality. And yet the point of discussion is not then really with homosexuality. It's mm-hmm. The point of discussion has to be backward right. to these foundational ideas or truths or doctrines that God has given us. And so the the first doctrine that, that I think is, is – uh, very uh, necessary for us to agree upon in order to have any discussion about much of anything related to the spiritual realm is in regards to God. 
Um, and I think our last session, uh, Art, you you spoke about God being our creator and that there is only one God and that God alone is God and that he defines life for us, he defines righteousness, and he defines that on the basis of his character, on the basis of his person, that we do not have the right in ourselves then to define what is moral or ethical. It's defined by God's very nature. And so if we stray away from uh, this being uh, who describes himself as the one true God who exists in three persons, who is holy and righteous and true, who is sovereign over all, then we will stray away from any place where we can possibly find to to have agreement. Um, Do do you guys uh, find any uh, matters related to the nature of God that connects with this particular issue of homosexuality? Yeah, so it's obviously um, something that that we we all agree with. Now, what would you say to the person who says, well, yeah, God is a creator God, and and he's created me in a way where I, I have these these same sex attractions. How, how does that? How does what you've said about God being God, Creator God, authoritative, relate to that to that that uh, comment as well that people make? Because I think I think it directly is addressed there. All right. Well, I think we have to go back to the fact that sin is in the world, and sin has caused a mutation of how we act and how we think. We are depraved, and if God clearly states that something is an abomination to him, then it's not within our ability to reason that we can act that out then, even if we thought that he had created us in a certain way. Yeah, I I think my question back was, why do you believe that God affirms this relationship or this behavior? And typically say, well, because I was made that way. Mm-hmm. I was made that way. And uh, again, it, it leads us to another foundational truth, and that's regarding to regarding our fallenness. You know, what do we believe about our nature? Do we believe we're born basically good, and so that any way in which we are born and any proclivity we have or or inclination we have from our birth must be necessarily f- a gift from God to be expressed? Or do we believe, as the Bible teaches, that that sin has already ruined us all. Uh, from the time of our conception, sin has ruined us, <laughs> that we are born moving away from God. And that when we see inclinations toward um, sins of any kind, uh, behaviors, attitudes, uh, relationships that, that God would define as outside of his righteousness or his goodness, then um, we, we, we don't have to struggle with wondering whether or not uh, – it's good because we were made that way. We recognize, no, it, if I have these natural inclinations or attractions, uh, it clearly is a result of this fallen aspect, the sin that I need to be rescued from because it doesn't reflect God as he describes himself. It also creates a natural suspicion in us toward our desires. So yep. a person who doesn't have this worldview says, huh, I desire something, so it must therefore be good. But a person who has this worldview says, huh, just because I desire something doesn't make it good. In fact, I should be rather suspicious yep. of the things that I desire, yep. desire in a lot of different contexts. And thankfully, our culture still recognizes that some of our natural – people's natural desires are not good and are still illegal. So, for instance, most people would still affirm that an attraction 
sexual attraction toward children is appalling and it's pregnant and it's illegal. And that a person can't say, well, from the time that I can first remember having sexual feelings, I had sexual feelings toward children, so therefore God made me that way, therefore it must be good. Um, thankfully, our world has not yet uh, delved into that kind of darkness, at least as far as public opinion, though some still actually do argue for that, um, which which reveals all the more how deceitful the heart is and how how changing morality becomes when we base it on something other than this idea that there is one true God who has revealed himself as righteous and just and has expressed what righteousness and justice is. And where has he expressed that? Well, it leads us to another foundational truth. So foundational truths, I think, um, primarily are are three, and we could name many more, but God alone is God. He's creator. Sin has ruined us all. And that God has spoken, and he's spoken perfectly and clearly and truly without error through his word, um, as his word reveals his son by under the inspiration of God's spirit, that, that God's word is rock solid, his revealed will, his revealed nature to us. That's good. And let's, let me go back to one of your comments, Rich, just to, to close the loop, because sometimes people misinterpret what we're saying sometimes when we use analogies. And you, know, you mentioned uh, the example of, of a person who ha- may have uh, sexual attractions toward children. And, and just to be clear, we're not saying that that uh, all homosexuals – We're not com- the point of comparison there is uh, that all of us have potentially desires that are idolatrous. That, that, yeah. that, that's the point that we're making right. there. I was trying to find some – illustration where even right. our own culture would still no recognize that, that right. a natural inclination is not a good inclination. Right, right. That would be true for for a host of other sins, an inclination right. toward stealing, an inclination yes. toward murder. Our culture yes. still says there's some natural inclinations that we need to resist and we need to confront and we need to suppress, you know. You mentioned uh, the ruin of mankind, that mankind is ruined, and, and uh, oftentimes we place those we we talk about those desires in the context of feelings and and uh and uh how we think and what we want and the scripture is very clear now that you've brought that to bear on the discussion that uh the heart is desperately deceitful and beyond uh finding out and so when we listen to our heart and when that becomes the focus of the discussion in how we live out our sexuality we have to be reminded that our heart will lead us astray. It is not sound. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. Yeah, yeah the world's counsel to people is to listen to your heart, and right. that's the exact opposite, isn't it, of, of Scripture. The, the Scripture tells us, do not trust your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Right. Uh, but in all your ways, acknowledge the Lord, and then the Lord is able to direct our paths. But the Lord's not directing paths of a person who's listening to their heart. Right. Well, with uh, that foundation, uh, sort of broad foundation laid, uh, what specifically does the Bible say in regard to the sin or regard to homosexuality and homosexual relationships, homosexual behavior, and even same-sex attraction? Well, in our, uh, th- yeah, let's, let's, let's move into that. In our last session, we mentioned that uh, one of the ways that perhaps the, the church has been hostile toward 
uh, those with whom we, we disagree and, and believe that they're in, in grave error is, is to not listen well. And so uh, what, what I want to do is I want to, to talk with you guys about some of the things that those who would be part of the homosexual movement have said about Scripture and about theology that affect uh, how we view Scripture. Now, uh, some people who are part of the, the homosexual movement and advocating for the, the, mor- the morality of homosexuality argue that, uh, yeah, Scripture condemns homosexuality, but kind of so what? Okay, And so we're not going to address that argument. We're going to assume that, that people are uh, interested in what Scripture has to say on this issue. So let me share with you guys a couple arguments uh, that people make who would say, yes, I believe Scripture is authoritative, and, and here's why I believe Scripture uh, is, is okay with the homosexual lifestyle. And, and I'm taking this from a, um, a, a transcript of a young man named Matthew Vines who uh, in 2012, I believe, kind of had an Internet sensation as he gave a sermon at a Methodist church and and this, uh, this, this sermon kind of went viral, and he kind of uh, did a good job in many ways uh, coalescing a lot of the uh, research on how to interpret biblical text from the uh, homosexual uh, perspective. So one argument that he makes in his, in his speech, in his sermon, is uh, first of all, uh, he says basically uh, the, the traditional interpretation, that's what we would hold regarding homosexuality in Scripture, the traditional interpretation in summary form is this. There are six passages in the Bible that refer in some way to same-sex behavior, and they are all negative. Three of them are direct and clear. In the Old Testament, in Leviticus, he mentions uh, that passage, and he kind, of, he kind of goes through that. So one argument that, that people make, uh, and, and Matthew uh, Vines makes this argument, is, hey, really, guys, you're talking about six passages in, in Scripture, three in the Old Testament, three in the new. How, how would you respond, first of all, to, to that argument that uh, the, the homosexual would make who believes that Scripture is still authoritative? Well, I think we believe that the Scriptures don't have to, to deal with it more than once in order for it to be God's truth. <laughs> okay. and, and so if God has said very clearly that something is an abomination to him uh, and that he's exercised judgment uh, over that, uh, then we need to Take heed to that passage. I would argue that that there are more than six that that reference um, homosexuality directly, but also that um, the whole presentation of who we are as male and female mm-hmm. permeates the the um, flow and the thought line of Scripture from the very beginning. You right, know, he, right. right out of the box, he made from them a very positive male standpoint. and female. Yeah. Male and female, he made them. And then for this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And uh, and that's 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 the thought. Every sexual deviation that's described, which, which are many, is some variation away from that specific pattern. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And so... We don't have to uh, – the Bible doesn't have to list every single deviation from one man, one woman to condemn it. We, we assume that, 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 it, that we understand that if this isn't the type of relationship in which I'm expressing my sexuality, it's contrary to what God's Word has, has told me. All right. I think that's good to bring in that creation passage because it sets the framework of who we are and how we go forth, how we are fruitful and multiply. 
Well, here, here's a here's a second argument. Now, here's an argument uh, on the, on the basis of comparing texts. You know, we we believe in the that the rule of faith. We believe that uh, uh, scripture interprets uh, scripture. And so here's here's a one of uh, Matthew and and other people have made this argument as as well. I've, I've heard it just uh, this this past week. But here's uh, here's what he says. Um, Gay people have a problem, and uh, according to the traditional interpretation, they tend to be viewed as essentially lustful sexual beings. So while straight people fall in love, get married, and start families, gay people, he says, just have sex. But everyone has a sexual orientation. Uh, So while straight people are told to avoid lust, casual relationships, and promiscuity, gay people are told to avoid romantic relationships Entirely, it goes on and says, according to the traditional interpretation of Scripture, as a Christian, I'm uniquely excluded from that possibility for love, for companionship, and for family. And then he talks about how that contradicts the opening chapters of Genesis, he says, from the account of creation of Adam and Eve. Um, and he talks about how it's not good for a man to be alone. But he says, this is a major problem. By holding to the traditional interpretation, we are now contradicting the Bible's own teachings. The Bible teaches that it's not good for the man to be forced to be alone, and yet now we are teaching that it is. How would, how would you guys respond to, to that argument that a person makes, saying they believe Scripture is authoritative, Scripture tells me it's not good to be alone, therefore if I have this same-sex attraction, I, I should be in a, a homosexual relationship? Again, the premise behind that is that the, the same-sex attraction is from God for good as opposed to from a sinful nature that uh, uh, can be transformed by the, by the power of Christ. Um, and I, I don't, we don't say this lightly. It's not that uh, we would say that, that the gospel always will transform a person if they pray a prayer, for instance, mm. but that, that the gospel's work is deep and profound and life-changing, life-transforming. Um, you know, and and that uh, as as long as that same sex attraction is prevailing, that that there is a glory to purity, and, and purity is very clearly defined. Uh, it's it's through purity that we we bring glory to God, um, and and that there's not a mandate upon every single person, every person who's single, to become married in order to bring glory to God. Yeah. So Genesis two. Isn't a mandate; it's a it's a blessing, right? You know? And Jesus even said, you know, that that uh, regarding uh, this law of divorce and remarriage in in uh, in Matthew in Matthew's gospel that that some were born eunuchs. You know, now he wasn't talking about uh, sexual orientation there, but he was talking about some people are born without the physical capability of having sexual union. Mm-hmm. And and he's not he's not condemning those people as outside of God's plan. He's just that right. that's the way some God has designed for some to experience life without the abil- physical ability to uh, be uh, uh, to have sexual relationship. And he says some were made that way, which in that day you know eunuchs in the king's court were made made eunuchs for the sake of their service to the king and in, in uh, serving uh, particularly the queen, as I understand it. Um, and then some are or eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. In other words, some have chosen a life of singleness because that's the means by which they can glorify God. This, to me, is a is a huge issue uh, as we think about responding with compassion to those who are uh, 
in, in this type of lifestyle or, or feel this, this type of draw. Uh, because we are uh, telling them that they, in order for them to be obedient to the gospel, they have a very difficult road ahead of them in, in terms of this issue of, of companionship mm-hmm. and, 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 and loneliness in, in, in some very profound ways. And so uh, we're going to continue talking about this and continue talking about what, what Scripture says. But I think what, Rich, you've alluded to is, is very good. Genesis 2 is, is not a, an injunction requiring that every person be in a, a monogamous relationship. Uh, but it's it's a it's a blessing and it's it's part of of God's design and yet because of sin in our world there are times where that that does not uh, take place and and God is sufficient even in those areas and we're going to continue talking about that and what the Bible says about uh, homosexuality in our in our next session and we hope that you join us uh, for our next revive the drive